Cincinnati, the chilly capital of America and the home of the first ever professional baseball team. It's a place that makes Queen City locals proud. What makes Cincinnati special to me is it fits my values. I'm very Midwestern at heart. Uh, blue collar, um, go to work, don't complain, that kind of stuff. That's just my makeup. And to me, that's what I think what is what makes Cincinnati unique. Cincinnati is a small community where people know our local restaurants. They know um, the local football teams. They know who the players are. They know oftentimes um, where they live, or you'll see uh, celebrities or the, or the athletes in our local restaurants, and people leave them alone. In January 2023, Cincinnatians were captivated with one NFL player after his brush with death, and it wasn't a bad thing. The impact that left on me is that humanity matters more than sports. Welcome to BYU Radio's Big Stories, a show dedicated to the incredible tales surrounding the opponents of the BYU Cougars. I'm your host, Cleon Wall. In this episode, we dive into a pair of pigskin parables. Football always came first. Former University of Cincinnati running back Isaiah Peed was a college football gridiron great. It's always been my piece. Um, you know, it's, 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 I, I like to say it's, it saved my life at, at times. But Peed's piece on the football field was violently taken away. I look at it as, you know, as God's plan. It's another experience in my life that, you know, that I was called upon. The former Bearcats comeback comes up later in this episode. But first, how one football foe brought the city of Cincinnati and the nation together. What makes sports attractive to me for a career is I love the emotion. This is Joe Daneman. I am the sports director at WXIX. I've been here working since 2001. It was my first job out of college, but I am from Cincinnati. This is where I grew up. This is where I was raised. We all like that escape to go to a sporting event. But for me, what I love most about it is the emotion that comes with it. And the emotion that comes with a game and a sporting event and just sports in general are all the stories that lead to whatever moment that person is coming into. To share their story and see it play out on a field, I think that's magical to me and that's why it's never gotten old for me to be around it. Whether it's a high school level, the college level, the professional level, here in Cincinnati, that all matters from every level, youth sports all the way to professional sports. So I think it's a great town to do sports in because people care about it from every level, from pro all the way down to Little League. The citizens of Cincinnati cared about their NFL franchise on the night of January 2nd, 2023. The Bengals were hosting the Buffalo Bills on Monday Night Football. Two teams that everybody thought would be on the short list that year to win the Super Bowl meeting on Monday Night Football right before the playoffs. It felt as big as any game could feel in Cincinnati. I never send my wife a text about the atmosphere. That night on the sideline in the five to ten minutes leading up to the game, the hair was standing up on my arms. I had goosebumps and I actually sent her a text and said, I've never felt Cincinnati like this before. Cincinnati has never been more ready for a sporting event than they are tonight for Monday Night Football. So I was on the couch like most of Cincinnati uh, that night watching the game. This is University of Cincinnati Medical Center trauma surgeon, Tim Pritz. 
Uh, I think that pretty much everybody in Cincinnati was either at the game or watching it. I was on a flight home from London. I was on vacation with my family. Pritt's colleague and emergency medicine physician, William Knight. I was supposed to work that game on the sideline as one of the concussion doctors, but had traded out of it for vacation. And so I was on the flight to come home and watched it unfold like everybody else did on Monday Night Football. Cincinnati was ahead 7-3 in the first quarter when quarterback Joe Burrow completed a pass to T. Higgins. As Higgins weaved his way across the field, Bill's safety, Damar Hamlin, slammed into it. I was on the Bengals' sideline. I pressed stop on my camera, thinking it was just another normal play and that we were going to live to play another play after that, and then everything changed in the aftermath of that play. Hamlin stood up and then collapsed backwards. Medical crews rushed to his side. It was a full sprint with heavy bags of medical equipment immediately to DeMar Hamlin. I have never seen that kind of urgency before from medical folks on a football field, and it led to this silence inside the stadium, this confused silence from the fans who had this buildup, and there was so much excitement and so much emotion. So my vantage point was I wanted to make sure I had eyes on what was happening on the field with DeMar. And I could see from my vantage point that they were starting chest compressions and working on him. We've seen in the past, a lot of times in the NFL, when a guy goes down with a serious injury, teams will circle around him just to make sure he's okay, to show support, that kind of thing. And that happened at first, but what I kept noticing from the players from both teams is they would circle around him, get close, and then the moment was just too much for them. They had to turn away and walk away, having to go down on a knee and start to pray or just walk away and be consoled by a teammate. Hamlin was eventually loaded into an ambulance, but it didn't immediately leave for UC Medical Center. We come to find out after the fact they are doing a procedure on him that they wanted to be stabilized, not moving inside the ambulance to get everything they needed to get done before they went to the hospital in a stable environment while not driving. I was able to find out answers about the way they treated him on the field, what his current condition was, that he had a heartbeat, that he wasn't breathing on his own. So there the ambulance was, and the bill started walking off the field. And I'll never forget this, is seeing the looks on their faces as they could still see the ambulance right there outside of their locker room. As they're walking back, seeing their teammate, understanding what he's going through inside that ambulance, as they're walking off the field. And people are asking, are they gonna keep playing this game? And I could have told you right then and there, there's no chance. So the NFL made the right decision in postponing that game. When I got home that night, I laid in bed. It was past two, past three in the morning. And I remember saying to myself, you know, people always say in this situation, sending thoughts and prayers. I said, how many people actually pray in that moment? I'm a man of faith. I'm a God-fearing man. I pray for Damar. And in that moment, you know, you never know how you're gonna react. And you never know how much of an impact your prayer will have. But I prayed for DeMar. I prayed for the people who were taking care of him. I prayed for the people who had to witness up close what DeMar was going through on the field and the way he was being treated on the field. Uh, I, prayed, I prayed a lot. I really did. Um, I don't think I slept that night. I got the call uh, from one of the my partners here, uh, who they, they had a critically ill uh, patient who was becoming in. 
Here again are UC medical doctors, Tim Pritz and William Knight. I'm one of the uh, senior trauma surgeons uh, and uh, was involved as a backup uh, surgeon to uh, the faculty member who was in house that night. Tim and I have had the experience with what we would designate as a high profile patient of knowing what that response is to the system and to the hospital. And I knew he was going to be here uh, and texted him from the flight and uh, basically coordinated me coming in as well so that we could meet with the family, meet with the team representatives, uh, help our, our hospital and our system prepare for the, the onslaught that, that came with it um, to allow the care teams to do their job. We represent a very, very large care team. Uh, if you look at the people who had hands-on care of him while he was here, it exceeds 150. And it really takes a village uh, to bring each critically ill patient and help them give their best shot, best shot of getting back to life. That village would expand in the days after DeMar's critical injury. Coming up next, how Hamlin galvanized the Queen City. I think the 24 to 48 hours after this happened is where Cincinnati showed its best. I'm Cleon Wall, and this is BYU Radio's Big Stories. Yeah, this is uncharted territory. This is David Fulcher, a former Cincinnati Bengals safety. He was at Paycor Stadium the night Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin went into cardiac arrest during a Monday night football game. You know, Joe, I've talked about this for a very long time, and I'm trying to keep the tears from coming out of my eyes, but this hurts, man. Even the day after, just listening to former players who saw moments like this, it, it takes you back into that moment and understanding just how much this affected everybody, not just who was on the field, but anybody who saw it. WXIX sports director Joe Daneman was one of the Cincinnatians who witnessed Hamlin lying on the field after hitting Bengal wide receiver T. Higgins. So when DeMar was injured, that was on a Monday night, and the next few days it was local TV nonstop trying to find every angle, every piece of information we could to push this story forward. Understanding we are in a very unique time in our careers where I said to myself, I understood that night, this might be the most important story of my career. Cincinnati residents also realized how important DeMar's story was to them because it happened in their city and they wanted to be there for him. They came through with flying colors, even if those colors were not the black and orange of the Bengals. We lit up our city in the colors of Buffalo, blue and red all over Cincinnati. The tops of buildings were in colors of bills. People were outside of the hospital with signs for DeMar Hamlin, the smallest things people could do to show support for DeMar Hamlin. I think Cincinnati showed it best. Yeah, the, the, the outpouring was really amazing. This again is Dr. Tim Pritz with UC Medical Center. There were, you know, balloon sculptures. They sent, there were hundreds of flower bouquets that came to the hospital over that period of time. Uh, we had to set aside an area of the hospital and then DeMar's mom would go downstairs every day and would pick out uh, different flower arrangements and have them distributed through the hospital, which is a really cool thing. We had one of the local restaurateurs uh, showed up with a truck full of steak and lobsters uh, for the, and not only fed uh, his family and the Buffalo Bills uh, team members who were here, but Phil, uh, fed everybody in our ICU waiting room and all the nurses in the ICU and on the on-call teams. And they did that several nights in a row. It was just really amazing to feel all that support. Dr. Pritz colleague, Dr. William Knight. Um, obviously it was dark when I came in, it was dark when I left. And the number of people and media trucks outside um, either doing live reporting or just 
fans or concerned people setting up a celebration or a homage to him, that's what stood out to me as I passed that every day in and out of the hospital. Just put it on. You kind of got to make sure. And then there were the shirts. So this was the DeMar Hamlin shirt. Sarah Robin works at Cincy Shirts. Uh, number three was DeMar Hamlin's number. So what it is is the, the five and one are the Bengals colors, and the three is his. And then it says stands with Buffalo. So just 513 stands with Buffalo means like Cincy, we're, we're here for, for you guys. Like, like we're, we're supporting you. The net sales of the shirts were donated to Hamlin's Chasing M's Foundation. And people were lining up to buy them two days after Hamlin collapsed. Mainly people got t-shirts, but then we had some people who came in and got like hoodies. They're like, if the, if the proceeds go to go to this, I'm gonna get what I can, like some of the most expensive stuff, stuff I can. I had a couple people who got all three in the same design. So crew neck got the 513, the hoodie 513 and t-shirt 513. He was like, I need to be able to wear it all, all seasons. We had people after it happened be like, I saw you guys had this shirt. They came in from Buffalo. Like I saw you had this shirt. We specifically came down to Cincinnati to get the shirt and everything. So again, it just, it was just mind blowing seeing all the support that every, that he had and everything. Like, I'm just so proud of everything we've done for him and the community and Buffalo. Three days after Hamlin's violent collision, he woke up. Uh, it was in the middle of the night. He woke up and he, he uh, in, in some way, shape or form asked, did we win? He, he scrawled it out on a on a piece of paper, it shows you right where he was, and when you know, and it shows you that for him it was, you know, the world waited for a few days. For him, it was just a couple heartbeats yeah. uh, from the time that you know he was unconscious till the time that he woke back up, which is really pretty amazing. Um, our our message at the time has become, and this came from one of our partners, was. Yeah, dude, you you won. <laughs> you won the game of life. I finally had a day off, and I found myself stuck in presidential traffic in downtown Cincinnati. And anytime you're stuck in traffic, of course, you get annoyed, you get frayed. And then I have the radio on, and I hear a report come on the radio that DeMar had woken up, had asked if they won, and it seemed as if DeMar was going to make a full recovery. And I cheered like my alma mater had just won a national championship or my favorite team had just won a championship. To us, this really wasn't a miracle. Um, it is, and in fact, obviously, he did amazing with a catastrophic injury. However, from on the field until he left the hospital, we had the right people in the right place at the right time with the right training. Then DeMar discovered how much love people were sending his way. Cards for him were coming from all over the country. I mean, by the boxes. Yeah by the box full, and uh, really just part of support for him. And and really, I think he started to realize what an impact he was having on people, and that his story was a substantially positive one, and that he, the positive impact that he could have uh, down the road on this. After nine days of hospitalization, Hamlin headed home. But his experience in the city of Cincinnati had a lasting effect on him. DeMar Hamlin came back to Cincinnati earlier this summer, he's on a national AED education tour. His foundation is donating AEDs to at-risk or needy um, organizations, football teams, schools, et cetera, that might, to, to, to again, prevent young athletes from dying on a field. But he got up there in front of a microphone in front of the entire crowd. This was at UC on campus. 
And he said that Cincinnati is one of his homes now. And to me, that was a cool moment. As someone who loves Cincinnati, someone who's from here, who works here, who ex imagines I will spend my entire life in this city, for someone to feel attached to a place the way he does now, from a moment that no one could predict, the impact that left on me is that humanity matters more than sports. And I think that's what we saw that night, not just from the way the crowd reacted, the way the teams reacted, the way the people covering the event reacted, the way the first responders reacted. That night was about humanity and the human spirit. Coming up next, Isaiah Pede refuses to be impeded by a missing limb. Welcome back to BYU Radio's Big Stories. The University of Cincinnati, man, it, it means um, a lot to me. Isaiah Pede loves his Bearcats. It's a good school. The, the football that is played, the competition that is played, we get the underdog kind of label, um, and that's what I love about it. It's, it's very, uh, you know, built from the ground up type of place. Pede is like his alma mater an underdog, a fighter, someone who claws his way to the top. For Isaiah, it all started out in Columbus, Ohio. My mom uh, was a teenage mom. She had, uh, they both had, they were same age, but had me at 16. Um, and then my dad ended up going to a different school and kind of you know, lost contact. My mom has me on her own. And by the time she was 20 years old, she had my sister. I learned a lot of things. Uh, kind of grew up fast, you know, getting myself to and from school at the bus stop, making my own snacks. You know, I had a key to the house at, you know, coming off the bus at kindergarten and first grade and, and going in there, putting, you know, making, just putting whatever in the microwave, you know, just things like that. Um, eventually that turned to, you know, by the time I'm in, in, in middle school, I'm, I'm, I'm making stuff on the stove, something slight, maybe hamburger helper, things like that. It just, it, it turned me into a, you know, a young adult. Isaiah was mature for his age when he finally met his dad. Talking and, and through, through dinner, and he was trying to explain, you know, 12, 13 years. And after about 20 minutes, I kind of just, I say, you know, we're, that's, we're here now. The, the, lad, uh, the, the past is the past. Let's, let's just move forward. And, and that's, that's where it kicked off. You know, uh, our relationship kicked off there. And, um, and, it's, and that's just where it's been. As Isaiah was driving down the road and reflecting back on his childhood, he stated that football is what saved his life. He was living on, on uh, here in Columbus, Ohio, um, Cleveland Avenue and, and East 20th Avenue. There's a park uh, right there, man. It's still there. And that's where I went and started playing football. And kids would come home from football practice and they still have on their their football uniforms. And I'm like, wow, they must be official football players. And, and, and guys that get to playing and... and I would try to just, you know, I would score my touchdowns and do good. I didn't even know if it was good. I just know I, they couldn't tackle me, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> um, <laughs> and I just wanted to keep doing that. And uh, finally, when I was about eight years old, my mom just said, okay, I'll take you to practice. And she didn't know what she was doing. She was just tired of me, you know, bugging her and begging her. And, you know, she would take me to practice. She would take me to the games, take me to the practice, take me to the games. And soon, you know, people were saying, hey, your son is kind of, He's kind of good. And she say, oh, thank you. No, she's watching. But the, as life goes on and you get more and more and more people saying, hey, no, hey, your son is good. 
I mean, when you have something that you know you want to do and you you eat, sleep, and breathe it every day, um, and, and then you reap just the the benefits that come with you know chasing that. That's uh that experience alone, that that being able to experience that every day for X amount of years of my life. Um, that's something that you know I, I'm thankful for um, being able to experience. I slept with a football. I slept with a football till I was 25 years old. Football is a is a key to my heart, absolutely. Um, yeah. and it's, you know what I mean? I I just I it, it saved my life. Football ended up providing Isaiah an education. Plenty of college coaches asked him to bolster their team's rushing attack, but Isaiah wanted to stay and play for his hometown team, the Ohio State. I was a Buckeye. You know, growing up, and my family, you know, big Buckeye fans, um, and I was, I was planning on going there, and they told me, you know, at the last minute that they were not going to offer me a scholarship, uh, but wanted me to walk on. So when they told me they didn't want to offer me a scholarship, I kind of was in a uh, quick scuffle of, you know, trying to um, take that vision and dream out of my mind and you know have an open heart towards these these other schools and so Pitt was one Indiana um, West Virginia uh, Cincinnati uh, they were my last four hats that I had drew but uh, Cincinnati ultimately took the cake just because uh, you know there were guys uh, from Columbus there Pete running left finds a little bit of a hole stays on his feet inside the 30 down the sideline He'd put the pedal down while he was at Cincinnati. He improved every single season, rushing for almost 1,300 yards his final year as a Bearcat. And um, my senior year, our quarterback ended up uh, breaking his ankle uh, in the uh, mid-season. So a lot of that, a lot of that work, again, went went on to me. Um, you know, kind of double the work. I just owned my role. Um, I spent a lot of time in the, in the weight room and the squat rack um, and in the training room, obviously. But uh, I do remember just spending a lot of time in, in the squat rack and, and coach uh, telling me that, you know, we're going to need my legs. Isaiah's legs took him to the NFL. The St. Louis Rams picked him in the second round of the 2011 draft. The, well, the experience of being in the NFL um, was a dream come true. It was a blessing. It was a, you know, thankful for it. It was also a bit bumpy. Pete struggled his first season with the Rams and was suspended one game the following season for violating the NFL's substance abuse policy. Then in 2014, he tore his ACL. He was eventually cut by the team. There were times where, you know, at being young and, you know, you make mistakes and then you have to earn your keep back. And I was in the middle of doing that, um, especially with uh, the Miami Dolphins. During the 2016 season, the Dolphins released Pete and the underdog was looking to fight his way back into the NFL. He was supposed to fly to Kansas City to work out with the Chiefs, but Isaiah missed two flights. That's when he got to spend extra time with his newborn son. It was beautiful. I just I, I stayed with him. I did the skin to skin and did everything. Isaiah was in heaven and was hoping to reach his other paradise on the football field soon. It never happened. It was someone's birthday, and so uh, we are going to Waffle House afterwards, and on the way to the Waffle House, uh, I had a bump in the road. I've never seen it, but just hearing, you know, from different uh, stories from the different police and whatnot, and my tire 
uh, blue, we started to swerve. And so I went out the side of a guardrail, um, which was kind of elevated over some trees and, and woods and whatnot. And the guardrail came through the car and kind of trapped my legs, but also propelled the car through the air. And my leg was, one of my legs was, was uh, severed right there in the car. I woke up in the, uh, you know, in the hospital um, and they're trying to explain to me what happened because I, I still had no clue. It's, it's starting to come to me like, you know, your leg is gone. I'm like, how? You know what I mean? I'm a faithful man. So so now I'm, I, I pray. I said a prayer and just ask God to, you know, uh, put whatever for whatever I need to know in my path for whatever, you know, the story is um, in so many words. And uh, we said my goodbyes to football. Did God give you comfort at that time too, even though you knew there was going to be a tough road ahead. Was there comfort there right after you said that prayer? There was. After I said my my, my prayer, amen, I written a joke down on a piece of paper, um, told the room, you know, don't think I can't drive. And everybody kind of laughed or whatnot because um, it was my first accident. Um, but the comfort was was in, you know, the, the, the people he sent uh, to to me every day. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the nurses, um, the, the letters and things like that. I was in the hospital for about two weeks and then in a rehabilitation for another two weeks. I didn't have a, uh, you know, a rock bottom moment in the hospital. There was no downtime for me in the hospital. You know, people, you know, from all over my life, all times of my life were coming and, you know, the first thing they, you know, they want to say is, you know, I'm sorry and uh, I'm sorry this happened. I hope you're okay. And I'm I'm happy to, to see them. I haven't seen them in years. Isaiah now cruises around on an artificial leg, but that cruising has some complications. It's it's, it's obviously different. It hurts. It, it has its sores. Um, you can't move as swift. If it's raining outside, this is about as fast as I can walk. I can't really hurry to the car. Pede keeps plugging along. He's into real estate investment, hopes to become an ambassador for the NFL. And he teaches the younger generation how to play the game. Now I, I coach football, coach Little League football. I, uh, you know, I, got, I have a son and a nephew who are a year apart. They're six and seven right now, so they'll be seven and eight. He loves watching my highlights. They both do. They both love watching my highlights. My son, he, he likes, uh, he likes, you know, to score touchdowns and do celebrations um, and, and, and uh, shake people up. Uh, but he also likes defense because his big cousin, um, you know, is, is super sweet at defense. He doesn't play favorites as a coach. I was that kid who played for uh, a, a little league team where the dads, a lot of the dads and uncles were the coaches of my pound, of my team. Me being, you know, just as fast as some of the kids and shifty, and I wanted to play running back, but uh, they wouldn't let me or didn't even look really give me a chance until a few years a few years later um and so that's just something that you know i, I want to hold my, myself to i think about that kid who you know he may be better than my kid you know what i mean he may be a little shiftier than my son and so uh because of that yeah my son does kind of get the tough love uh but i do i do love on him isaiah also shows love to his two-year-old daughter he cooks meals for his two children and hops around on one leg to play with them. At times, those children climb into bed with him at night. Being a dad has changed Pete's perspective. 
you know, it, it brought a purpose to life. It, it made me, um, you know, realize what was life. Because at time, at one time, it was nothing but football. Whatever I need to do to continue football. What I'm excited to continue to teach as a, as a dad, as a father, um, along with the sports. Um, but just continue to unlock the different, uh, you know, the life lessons that, you know, having kids bring that I, I, I was just oblivious to growing up. And playing football, they say when you play hard, the ball just rolls your way. And that's that's kind of what I want to do um, with life. I just want to play hard in life and and, and um, pass wisdom down. Again, start just, just continuing to build, uh, you know, the fam, the fam, a family legacy, I think is what my purpose will be. The underdog and fighter who fought so hard to play football is now fulfilled. Life is written, and, and God has a story for us all, and we're all going to be, you know, special in that story. So I, I, I'm content. Thanks for listening to BYU Radio's Big Stories. It's produced and written by me, Cleon Wall. Music and post-production is by Kevin West. A big thanks to ESPN and WXIX. Make sure you watch BYU TV's Big Stories by logging on to BYUSN.com. Big Stories is a production of BYU Radio.